Hi, everybody. Welcome to the PR Masters podcast series. I'm Arch Stevens, your host for our 30th PR Masters podcast. And my day job, as you probably know by now, is managing partner of the Stevens Group, which is a leading facilitator of mergers and acquisitions in the PR and digital interactive space. The PR Masters podcast series features interviews with some of the living legends in our profession, individuals who have made a real mark in the world of public relations. These individuals are open and candid about how they see their contributions to the practice and to the reputation of public relations. And we usually share an entertaining as well as informative 45 minutes with you, our listeners. Today's guest is somebody I've known professionally for a number of years. He is Jeff Winton, who is one of the leading professionals in the world of healthcare, public relations, and communications. Jeff Winton has spent many years on the corporate side, uh, and he has been the top global communications officer for such companies as Eli Lilly, Pharmacia, and Sharing Plow. More recently, uh, Jeff devoted his services to companies like Alvernese, I'm not I'm pronouncing it incorrectly. Let me say that again. It's uh, Alchemis and Astellas, uh, both leading pharmaceutical companies, where he's created and led the functions that encompass corporate brand and reputation, corporate product, internal sales, and R&D communications. Jeff kind of was the chef that, uh, that worked on all of the healthcare communications for these uh, giant companies. More recently, though, Jeff has left the wonderful world of corporate communications, and he's established established Jeff Winton Associates, which is a full-service communications agency uh, after a four-decade communications and corporate affairs career. Um, I'm going to talk to him about that in a little while, but his global experience certainly spans highly diverse and dynamic industries, including pharmaceuticals, biotechnology, animal health, agricultural, consumer health care, and consumer products. Uh, Jeff has won many, many awards in his career, including the Public Relations Society of America, its Health Academy Excellence in Public Relations Award. So without further ado, I am happy to present my good friend Jeff Winton to you, and we're going to have a nice conversation this afternoon about a lot of subjects. Uh, So Jeff, how are you today? I'm doing well, Art. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be with you, and I'm uh, honored and humbled to be included in this series. I, uh, as I mentioned to you, had the opportunity to listen to a number of your former guests last evening, and I was especially humbled after hearing some of the people that truly are legends in our, our business. So thank you for the inclusion. Well, Jeff, you are. You definitely are considered a legend in the public relations industry. You're being far too modest. As a matter of fact, your, your contribution to healthcare public relations will always be part of your legacy. And so, Jeff, my, my first question to you is how, how did your interest in healthcare come about? Well, actually, Art, one thing that you may or may not know is that I actually started my career in animal health, not in human ah. health. So uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, I'm a farm boy. I grew up on a farm. I come from a long line of farmers. I own a farm now, and so animals have always been something very special to me. So my undergraduate degree uh, from Cornell University was in animal science and agriculture, and my very first jobs were actually on the agency side. So it's kind of interesting how my career has come full circle now, but was working for leading animal health companies, which at the time, a lot of the pharmaceutical companies owned. Companies like Pfizer and Roche and Merck all had animal health divisions at the time. So I started my career working in human health, and it was really probably almost halfway through my career is when I made the switch. I had taken a little time off to work on a master's degree, um, and while I was doing that, I was doing a lot of volunteer work, uh, and this was back in the early days of the HIV and AIDS epidemic. And so while I was doing this as a volunteer, somehow Roche, the big Swiss pharmaceutical company, heard about my community involvement, and they were looking for someone to come in-house 
to work with them to be an advocate for people living with HIV and AIDS. And, and that was really what started my career in human health. So what was your, what was your first job in, in human health care? My first job in human health care was working at Roche Pharmaceuticals, um, and I was the director of public affairs for their HIV and AIDS portfolio. So I was doing patient advocacy work, uh, working with a number of patient advocacy groups around the world, and was also um, handling media relations work. So it was a, a big change from what I'd been doing in animal health in the agricultural world. And I look back, Art, and even though it was many, many years ago and many jobs ago, <laughs> I look back so fondly because it was by far one of the best opportunities I can say that I've ever had the pleasure and the privilege of holding. Well, you have become a legend in terms of uh, uh, healthcare corporate communications. You have worked with some giant and blue chip companies along the line, um, and uh, obviously you had the skills and capabilities, you know, to 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 add to your uh, contributions to these companies. And so my my next question is kind of, you know, why you and not someone else? And in other words, what skills and capabilities? Do you feel that you personally brought to your career as a top corporate communications executive? And I mean top. Well, thank you, Art. Uh, first of all, I learned early in my career from a woman who I reported to, who is still a very good friend of mine, that you surround yourself with people better than you are. And you look for people that can complement and supplement your your strengths and your weaknesses. And so... I look back at my career, and I, I honestly do attribute any success that I've had over the 40 years I've been doing this to the people that were on my various teams. And I've, I've you know, been so proud of what they've gone on to do. Some of them are at Fortune 50 companies heading up corporate affairs and corporate communications now, not even necessarily in the healthcare space, but um, it's been a privilege to work with the type of talent that I've been fortunate to work with. So I would say that's that's one thing. The second thing is I've always been very inquisitive. I've always wanted to learn about a lot of different things. I, I have a lot of diverse extracurricular activities and just that um, interest in always exploring what else is out there and trying to dabble in that has served me well being in this business. And and I think the third thing that I would say, which is, you know, something that continues to be my North Star, is I've always appreciated the role that the patient advocates play in our business. Um, I have a, a number of family members who have been impacted by a number of different, very serious health issues, as most people have. And so, you know, from the time I was a young boy, I kind of marveled at what my various relatives were going through and how they advocated not only for themselves, but how they advocated for others living with whatever disease they might have been dealing with. And so even after all these years, I've never forgotten the role that the patient plays because we are asking people in this industry to actually take these products into their body. So it's a much different proposition than it is if we were working in other industries because people are trusting us that what they're ingesting or what they're getting injected into their body is not only going to be efficacious, but more importantly, is going to be safe and something that's going to help them. So I'm going to throw a question in here, Jeff, you know, uh, uh, with respect to, obviously, the positions you've had to take with major pharmaceutical companies. Um, as you know, you know, I, I used to have a public relations firm in New York called Lopes and & Stevens, and uh, I, I had the good fortune of working with some pharmaceutical companies as clients myself. And I know that the one 
major issue that keeps coming up in the in the public limelight is why are pharmaceutical companies making so much money? Why do they charge so much? Um, and I know you know the Pharma Council uh, obviously has strong positions on that. But I wonder if you personally have formed any positions on that, since you've probably had to address those questions many times. Well, absolutely, and it's a very timely question, Art, because of the situation we find ourselves in with the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, things are starting to take a bit of a turn now, thankfully, and rightfully so. Um, while there is still a lot of discussion, especially during an election year, about the cost of healthcare in general, not just pharmaceuticals, but healthcare in general, I think what we've been dealing with for the past few months has started to shed a new light, uh, and not even a new light, a, a, the same light that's always been there, but it got dimmed over the years for whatever reason. And so people are now starting to understand why the biopharmaceutical industry exists and what we're doing in this race against the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm sure you've seen a lot of the same research studies that I have, but the reputation and the image of this industry is actually rising um, because we pretty much hit rock bottom a few years ago and never moved. And, you know, Richard Edelman, a good friend of mine and a mentor um, who does the Edelman Trust Barometer every year, you know, whenever that was presented, you always dreaded it being in this industry because you always knew that you were going to be down at the bottom of the heap. But the latest research has shown that, that the industry is now starting to be looked at in the light that we were when I first started. When I started in this business, you were proud to tell people you worked in the healthcare industry. And then it got to a point where you kind of told them what you did after hours. <laughs> and if they really pressed you, then you said, you know, what you did. But, uh, you know, things are, are changing. And I think we're getting an inside glimpse now of what a number of companies in our industry and, in fact, a number of my own clients now are doing to look at um, the, the cure or the, the next, you know, drug that's going to help people control the symptoms of this terrible pandemic that we've been living with since, you know, February, March. Yeah. So pharmaceutical companies have traditionally defended themselves, uh, Jeff, by saying, you know, that uh, they need to charge, you know, a certain level of, uh, of, of, of price rates uh, because of the billions of dollars that they spend in doing, you know, research and development. Um, is that, would you say, is that still a valid excuse in, in terms of the U.S., given the fact that the cost of, 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 of drugs around the world are, are very often a lot less than in the U.S.? Well, what I would say respectfully is it's not an excuse. It's, it's the fact. And if you stop and look at where a lot of the new drugs and medications that we're all benefiting from have been developed and discovered, it's been here in the United States. A lot of other countries, such as Germany, which, as you well know, used to be the home and still is of, of some major pharmaceutical companies, a lot of the research isn't being done there anymore. A lot of the new medications aren't necessarily even being launched there anymore. So it's, it's a very expensive proposition. As you know, the vast majority of the drugs are that are in any company's pipeline will not necessarily see the light of day. So the drugs that do make it through somehow have to subsidize those that don't make it through, or we will have no innovation in this country. Are some drugs more expensive than they should be? Absolutely. And, you know, I, I'm always very clear about that. As I've shared with you, I grew up on a farm. I still have a number of family members who are self-employed farmers who don't necessarily have health care or access to these drugs themselves. And it bothers me. It's, it's a dilemma I have morally, just knowing some of my own family members can't afford the drugs that other people enjoy that have other types of professions. But it is something that if, you know, we get to a place where other countries in this world are, 
I'm really fearful of what will happen with innovation. And I've had the good fortune of working, as you've mentioned before, at your very kind introduction, at a number of global companies. So I've spent a good share of my life on airplanes flying all over the world. And I see firsthand how other countries have have handled this. And I, I hope and pray the United States never gets into that situation because the world is now, and always has been for many reasons, dependent on the innovation coming out of our laboratories here in the United States. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. So, Jeff, uh, obviously you, you've been involved with uh, – with healthcare communications uh, starting with the animal level and going to the human level for a number of years. Um, what do you feel you, you've learned? Number one, how has healthcare communications changed over, say, the past 40 years since you got into it? And what do you personally believe is, is the, uh, the primary role and responsibility of the healthcare communicator? Well, certainly the end user of our medicines are much more informed now thanks to DTC advertising, thanks to social media, than they were when I started my career back in the 80s, again, starting in animal health. Um, You know, the learned intermediary, the prescriber, the physician, um, was the person who made the recommendation and, you know, even people like my, my own mother, uh, up until she passed away a couple of years ago, never really questioned the doctor or never went into the doctor saying, you know, I saw this on television. Or I, I saw <laughs> something on Facebook about this, this drug that might help my, you know, X, Y, and Z condition. Um, you know, the, the, the new generation, if you will, the, the younger generation of, of consumers and patients are much more informed about, their condition and much more informed about their options than they've ever been before. So I would say that that has been one of the major revolutions in our industry is that we've got a very well-informed population of people. And, you know, that's coupled with the fact that a lot of prescribers don't necessarily even see pharmaceutical sales representatives anymore. I'll tell you a a funny little story, but at one of the companies I was at, um, I went to my own primary care physician, which is five minutes from the headquarters of this major pharmaceutical company. And I'm dressed up. I've got a suit and tie on, again, back in the day, right? Um, (laughs) And uh, I'm carrying a briefcase, which they probably thought had samples in or something. I get to the front door And here is a new sign on the front door that had never been there before saying, effective June 1st, we are no longer seeing pharmaceutical sales representatives. And I'm like, (laughs) wow. So I go busting through the door for my own appointment. They knew I worked for a drug company. They took one look at me and said, didn't you see that sign on the front door? (laughs) And I'm like, well, let me remind you, I'm a patient here, okay? I'm not trying to sell you anything. So, um, you know, that has been something that um, is changing as well. And it's especially been a difference uh, because of COVID-19. I mean, very few, if any, sales representatives have been in visiting with healthcare providers while we've been going through this pandemic. So, Biotech and pharma companies, including some of my very own clients, are taking new and very creative ways on how to reach the prescribers of these drugs because they're still not allowed to go in and visit, and they may not be able to. I mean, things have changed. As you well know, the world has changed. How we conduct business has changed, and certainly healthcare has been forever changed because of this pandemic that uh, we've been dealing with for the past several months. You know, in, during your career as, uh, uh, you know, the top corporate communications officer for uh, a number of global uh, pharma companies, uh, I'm sure among your duties and responsibilities were to help market and promote 
both new drugs and existing drugs uh, in, in terms of, you know, their, their, uh, the, the benefit uh, to patients with certain types of illnesses or diseases or, or chronic situations. Um, today, it seems to me, I mean, bec- you know, because we're 40 years later, there are so many more drugs out there uh, and, uh, and cures or treatments, you know, for various ailments that we humans have. Um, how, did you, how do you find that you're able to uh, get your messages in there with, among physicians and, you know, and your constituencies, uh, given the number of uh, drugs on the marketplace today? Well, if you would allow me, I want to take a step back before I answer that question, and I promise I will answer that question. Sure, but of course. You're absolutely right as it relates to there are a number of new options in a number of therapeutic categories. But sadly, in the area of mental illness, we still are back in the dark ages. Even though there have been some breakthroughs over the last few years, A lot of the drugs that are still being used to treat various forms of mental illness, whether it's schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, um, have been around for for 25 plus years. And, you know, it's it's a passion of mine because of my family's journey dealing with a number of family members in mental health and because I represent clients, including a patient advocacy organization, which we're very proud to work for. Um, in this space, but it's one area that continues to shame me about this industry, that we cannot seem to come up with something that will help these people, including my own family members, by the way, living Mm -hmm. with various forms of mental illness. But in some of the other areas, such as oncology, for example, such as diabetes, you're absolutely right. We've had some major breakthroughs and and you know the the clutter if you will out there um is real but but that's where the patient voice comes in that's where working with patient advocacy organizations that are hopefully involved at the very beginning um, a lot of companies including some of the former companies that i worked at now have patient experience departments within the company that go beyond just patient advocacy, but they're looking at everything like if a patient calls in your 800 number, how many times do they get bounced around (laughs) before Mm, they finally get the person that can help them? And I think the industry, and I'm I'm very proud of this aspect, um, the industry's finally discovered, and I think we've instinctually known this, but now the importance of that patient involvement and that patient voice is more important than ever. And, you know, utilizing that patient voice to me is ultimately what breaks through the clutter because when you hear the narrative, when you hear the story that one of these people that has been living with a debilitating disease tells about what a new medication has done for the quality of their life or the lives of people they love, that's what resonates that's what's going to break through it's interesting that's why you know at least in my days of, of helping to get a uh, a pharma brand message across that's why we always uh, try to identify uh, you know uh, uh, patients who had achieved success with that with that product and gotten them on you know on the on the talk show uh, marathons absolutely i'm sure you well, i'm sure that you've you've used that technique i'm sure both internally as well as probably the agencies you've worked with That's right. And I mean, certainly from a credibility standpoint, Art, the people who have been on the drug that have benefited from them have much more credibility than the company that even makes the drug. So um, I, you know, have seen patients use very successfully uh, in, you know, media relations, as you mentioned. But, you know, the one area that more and more companies are utilizing the patient voice now is with their own employees. And, Mm. you know, I've been very proud at the last two corporations that I worked at before I started my own firm, that at each and every town hall meeting we had with our employees, um, we would always start with a patient. And it wasn't necessarily even always a patient that was on one of our drugs, but it was a patient that came in and told the story 
about their struggle and the journey and the triumph that they've had. Um, and, and every town hall meeting, regardless what the other content is, I can guarantee you the highest rated part of that particular town hall was the patient advocate who came in and spoke about their own journey mm-hmm. because, you know, this, this industry has become more and more highly regulated for many good reasons, quite honestly. So the ability for, you know, the average employee at any given company to have direct access to a patient, especially a patient that's on the medication that that company makes, is extremely limited. And that, that is another, you had asked a question before about what has changed. That is something that has changed over the years, um, again, for, for good reason, but our employees at pharma companies are getting further and further from the end users of the drugs. So the companies have to work even harder to make sure that they hear the voice and have access to people telling that story so that they never forget why we exist and why we do what we do day in and day out. Jeff, do you think that the role of corporate communications has changed over the years, particularly since you started and, you know, and have been doing this for four, four decades? Uh, um, has, has the role changed? Has the function changed in some way? It, it, it's changed dramatically, Art. I, I, two things come to mind immediately. One is, fortunately, communication officers now have a place at the table. And that hasn't always been the case. Uh, in many cases, including companies I've worked at, the chief communications officer reports directly into the CEO and is a member of the executive leadership team. Um, you know, over the years, I've seen this change and morph into where it is today, which I think is very positive because for us to be effective, and for us to do our jobs and represent the company in the way that we are charged to do, we have to be part of those discussions. We have to not only participate and listen to what's being discussed in the boardroom, but we also have to be there and give our opinion as these discussions are taking place as opposed to having that brought back to us after the fact. So that's been one thing that I've seen changed. The second thing, which I think is very positive, is chief communication officers are really doing way more than communications now. Um, And that's why, you know, I've been so honored and, and proud to have been in roles that were actually called corporate affairs head or chief corporate affairs leader because we're looking at the totality of the levers that are important in this business. We're looking at certainly internal and external communications. We're looking at media relations. We're looking at crisis management, all the things that communications people have always done. But now we're looking at corporate social responsibility. Now we're looking at diversity and inclusion. Now we're looking at public policy. Now we're looking at investor relations. And so it's a much more holistic, integrated approach than what it was certainly when I started my career where things, even though companies were doing all those things I've just rattled off, they were being done in more of a siloed fashion than Uh what they are Uh now. Now there's a much greater integration, mainly because of the advent of of social media and some of the new tools that are at our disposal. You, You can't segment some of these levers and platforms like you used to be able to. So you, you've had the good fortune of reporting directly to CEOs, which is a, a question I, I actually was going to ask you. And if you if you did, without naming names or companies or anything, uh, what were the various levels of of the understanding on the part of CEOs, many of whom come from you know other sectors within the company, manufacturing or what have you, um, you know, as they rise through the ranks, in some cases obviously being selected uh, totally from the outside. 
but uh, what what are some of the things you felt that you had to coach CEOs on that you know that they didn't bring to their positions in terms of their understanding of the role of corporate affairs? And what was the what was like the best situation you ever had in terms of working for a CEO who who sort of got the picture? Well, I've had the good fortune of working for a number of CEOs, including one at two different companies that really got it, that understood communications probably in many cases as well as I did. And that's one of the reasons that, you know, it's been such an enjoyable and, um, but I've had the good fortune of working in a number of companies with very enlightened CEOs who truly understood communications and quite honestly, before I went to most of the companies I went to, I did my homework, as any good job seeker should, to determine, is this somebody that I want to be in the trenches with? Is this somebody that um, is a, a supporter of communications and an active participant? Because not all CEOs like to be out there. Not all CEOs like to deal with the media. Um, but but most of them consider it essential and an important part of their job. So some took a little more coaxing than others. But I've got to say, our, by and large, I think back to the CEOs that I've supported over the years. And I, I've just been very fortunate and very blessed to have worked for people that got it. They might not have always agreed with me but they would listen. And, and that's the critical piece here is, is just making sure that you've gained their trust, that you've gained their respect so that regardless if it's a proactive initiative or a reactive one that comes with the territory of what we do, that at least when the time comes for you to voice your opinion, they will listen to you and take it under advisement. You know, the one, the one lesson that I, I do want to share with you, that even though it was many years ago, it seems like it was just yesterday, and I can even remember what I was wearing and what the CEO was wearing. And this was fairly early in, in my career, but um, and I was not, by the way, reporting to the CEO at that point. But I remember I had a one-on-one -on -one meeting with him because, you know, I was fortunately considered a high potential employee, so the person I worked for who did work for the CEO had recommended that he meet with me. So, you know, I'm still fairly, you know, early in my career, fairly junior, but I go up and he starts asking me questions about the culture of the company and the environment and everything. And, you know, again, being fairly naive, I guess, I answered the questions very truthfully <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and I didn't sugarcoat anything. And at the end of that meeting, which ran way over, he stood up, he shook my hand and he said, thank you. He said, all too often you get in my position, which again was CEO and people only tell you what they think you want to hear. Right, but he right, said, yeah. I can only be as effective as I am knowing what's going on uh, within the company. And he said, would you start meeting with me on a monthly basis? Because I really <laughs> need to know what's happening. And I mean, I was very respectful. I didn't throw anybody under the bus, but I also didn't hold back. And I, I told him the good, the bad and the ugly. And as a result, we had a wonderful many-year relationship at two different companies after that. And uh, that was a lesson that I, I, I just shared with our summer interns with my new firm recently. I said, you're going to be put in these situations. And I said, honesty and candor are critical, doing what we do. And I told him the story. And, and that's something that's guided me and has served me well all these many years that have followed. You know, Jeff, I uh, over drinks one day. I'll tell you, you know, my my story. But actually, we uh, we actually both ran into a similar situation when I was uh, 25 years old. I uh, uh, I was assistant to the director of public relations at at an American stock exchange company by the name of Prentice Hall, which is a major publishing yeah, company. Yeah, sure. Books, business services, and all kinds of things. It did at that time. It did probably about 500 million, even even back then. Um, 
and uh, I came up with an idea for a project, and one day the PR director, uh, who really had left me alone on this project and didn't really know the answers, had me meet with him and the CEO. It was the first time I ever met directly with the CEO. And uh, I told him about the project, and I had, you know, I seemed to have all the answers. Um, and about three months later, he appointed me director of public relations of the company <laughs> at the age of 25. <laughs> wow, that is. And I guess awesome. it's because I, I told the truth as well. Yeah, just like right. you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that is what a terrific story. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. So, but I digress. Uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, what what qualities do you think? you have brought, you know, to the table in terms of these top corporate communications positions that you've held. You know, obviously you have enjoyed a, a stellar career, uh, you know, in, in, in significant roles and reporting to CEOs. Um, what do you think earned you the respect and admiration of the CEOs that you've worked with? Well, I look back and I, I actually have talked quite a bit about this over the years that my farm upbringing was instrumental in a lot of the success that I've had through my career. And by the way, I was the first in my family who ever had the opportunity to go to college. Uh, oh my. my parents were oh both, my. both born during the depression. I was the oldest son. Uh, nobody had gone to college until I did. And, and it was such an honor, which the older I get and the further in my career I get, the more I realize the sacrifices that my family made in order to send me and allow me to do things that they were never allowed to do. But, you know, growing up on a dairy farm where you get up at 4.30 every single morning from the time you can walk and you work until you go to school, then you go to school and you do your extracurricular activities. And then during certain times of the year, you come back and you're working until midnight. Um, I tell people that farm upbringing has taught me how to be a tremendous juggler. I can have a hundred things going on at once as you do on a farm. And I'm, I'm normally able to keep most plates in the air most times. Um, the other thing I, I, from the time I was a little kid, got used to not having much sleep, which has <laughs> served me well being in the PR field. But, but I think, you know, my dad instilled in myself and in my three younger brothers um, the value of not only hard work, but of dignity and respect and honesty. And, you know, I, I just posted something on LinkedIn about my dad on Father's Day, as a matter of fact, uh -huh. just saying that, you know, those lessons that I learned on that poor hilly farm in upstate New York where I was raised have always stuck with me. And, you know, people over the years have commented on, my work ethic and how hard I work, but how I'm able to get so much done and be so productive. And, and that's had, um, you know, a, a big role to play. But I think the other thing is my, my parents were huge proponents of always doing the right thing and always advocating for people that didn't have a voice and that didn't have a place at the table. And keep in mind, my family didn't have much money at all. I mean, my family, we were well taken care of. We were greatly loved, but we we couldn't afford to go on vacation. We couldn't afford to do a lot of things. And But yet my parents always seemed to have something they could give to others. And, and that's something that throughout my career I've always tried to um, emulate and, and tried to model because in this business world, especially in the pharma industry, You've got people, you've got the haves, and you've got the have-nots, as we discussed before. You've got people that have incredible health care plans through their employers, and you have people, like my own family, who are farmers that can't afford insurance. And so you have to be empathetic. You've got to remember that not all sizes fit all, and that's where these patient assistant programs are so incredibly important because there are a lot of people that need our medicines that can't afford it, but most companies, thankfully, have programs by which they can get, you know, the bulk of these medicines. So 
I, you know, I, I, I tell people I'm a bit of a social engineer and, you know, people always ask me, well, if you didn't do what you've done for 40 years, what would you do? <laughs> and I probably, you know, I tell people I'd probably be a, a, so, a sociologist or a social activist or a social engineer because I love studying people and I love studying how people interact with each other. And, you know, growing up in a, a small, tight-knit farming community, the dynamics that were going on in that little town before I went to college were just fascinating, and I always just marveled at at the interactions, and I still do. I I still, uh, back before the pandemic hit, I loved nothing more than going to an airport to just sit and people watch and, right. and watch how people were interacting and how they were treating each other. But But that study of human nature has been something from the time I was a little kid until today, which is many decades later, um, has served me well in the corporate communications field. Well, Jeff, as they say, you can take the boy out of the farm, but you can't take the farm out of the boy, right? <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I still own my own farm today. <laughs> well, and that leads me to my next question. Not only yeah. do you own your own farm, but now you, you own a, a public relations agency. Um, so my, my question is, you know, that, that's, a, that's a very interesting segue. I mean, not unusual, but the fact that you've been in corporate communications for all those years, and yeah. then you decide to start an agency. What, what prompted that decision, and what's that all about? Well, you know, I, some of my friends, and I, I won't name names, but I'm sure there are people you know in the industry, um, ask me the same question, only with a different twist. And that twist was, why did you wait so long? <laughs> why didn't you do this 20 years ago, right? And I'm sure that's a question you've probably had yourself. But, you know, I, it was a, a situation where um, the last corporate job I had was going through a downsizing. And I uh, decided that I was going to leave the company and – I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do. And I was, you know, considering other corporate jobs. I was considering, you know, going to an agency. Um, I had an offer even from a patient advocacy organization that was very intriguing to me. But ultimately, I had a couple different people who were at other companies at the time approach me and say, have you ever thought about starting your own agency? We're looking for an agency we know you, we've worked with you, we trust you, we know you, you normally surround yourself with good people and people we want to work with. We would, we would love to have you consider starting your own agency. And, you know, quite honestly, Art, it wasn't something that I had ever really given much thought to. As I shared with you, I started my career on the agency side, working in agriculture and animal health, and then eventually went to the corporate side, and that's where I stayed for the bulk of my career. So this was quite a departure. But, you know, the timing was right. I had the opportunity to start with, with a couple people who wanted to work with us, which made a big difference. And, uh, you know, I, I had, fortunately, a number of people from my past who I had worked with. Uh, some of them had been on my team. Some had been clients. I had been their clients, but I had a trusted bolus of people that were all at a point in their career where they were going through the same soul searching that I was. And so I approached them one by one and say, hey, I'm thinking of starting this. Would you be interested? And, you know, fast forward, we're not even five months into it, but we've got a team of 20 some people now that uh, are working with us on a number of different clients and very exciting wow, wow. Com companies in the industry. And uh, I'm just really honored and, and very privileged that the people that I wanted to work with were available. And these were also people that I had fond memories of, of working with. They were people I had fun with. They were people that could laugh with me and could cry with me and people that shared my, my, you know, triumphs and my tragedies. And, and once you have a history like that with people, you don't want to let them go. You want to keep involved with them. So even though I hadn't been in touch with a number of them over the years, it was just like 
yesterday when we reconnected. And so the bulk of the people that are, are working in our new agency now are all people, again, people with 25, 30 years of experience, but people that I have a history with. And we are having a great time and doing wonderful work for our clients. Well, you know, I, I was aware because you and I have had that conversation about how fast the start your agency has had and how many clients you've signed up in a record amount of time. Um, this is why you are considered a legend in the industry, my good friend, Jeff. <laughs> well, that's very kind of you, Art. I, I, again, it all goes back to the people, and I've been fortunate to have worked for and with some tremendous people over the years. And um, I, I just told you the story about the people that are working on my team, but quite honestly, a lot of the companies we're working for now, I have a connection with someone at that company. And again, once once you get these people that you've done good work with and you enjoy working with, it's it's a privilege to continue to keep your engagement there, regardless what it looks like. But, um, you know, we don't know what the future is going to bring. It was a very unusual time to launch this firm because we launched and then two weeks later, COVID hit. And um, I looked back, and there were days I said, what the heck have I done? Why have <laughs> I decided to do this? And I, I even was thinking, you know, maybe some of those corporate jobs are still open. But I stayed the course, and <laughs> fortunately, you know, here we are today with, you know, some some really wonderful clients and uh, already some tremendous work to point to. And I'm I'm very excited about the future of our firm. That's just terrific. I'm so happy for you, Jeff, honestly. Uh, Thank you. It's quite a switch going from the corporate side to the agency side. And and, uh, and I guess my last question to you for today, and, and I, I've so enjoyed our conversation. I, I really think this is one of our best podcasts with all due respect. Uh, you have oh, been well, candid and you. forthcoming, and I sure appreciate it. I wanted to talk as, as, uh, about, as my final question to you about, about the current age we're living in with COVID-19. You know, you've you've dealt with healthcare crises before. Uh, I'm sh- I'm sure many, um, and obviously you have a sense of what needs to be done. You know, in terms of, you know, uh, conveying messages to various constituencies, including target publics. Um, without without being political in nature, and, and certainly not naming names, but what 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 do you think have been the pluses and minuses about? the uh, communications and messages that have been uh, sent out regarding COVID-19 over the past five months? Well, uh, as I mentioned earlier in our conversation, our, I started my career in human health care in HIV and AIDS. And there are many, many, many parallels, not only just because we're dealing with yet another virus, but but we're dealing with a lot of confusion and a lot of misinformation and a lot of uh, societies, including our own, that aren't prepared for for what we're dealing with. So, you know, and and good old Dr. Fauci, who I don't know what we would do without him, was front and center back when I started my career. So, you know, I kind of feel like everything has come full circle now uh, whenever I see him on television because he was one of the first key opinion leaders I had the privilege of working with back during the AIDS epidemic that he played such a critical role in. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, I think, Art, that, you know, there's been a lot of positives that have come out of this. I think, you know, I've really seen people stepping up to help each other. I've seen companies doing things that they've never even dreamed of doing before. Again, as I mentioned before, the business world has been forever revolutionized and and we will never go back nor should we to where we were before. But I, I think that, you know, from a communication standpoint, um, there's been competing messages. And I, I think one thing, again, <laughs> without getting political, one thing that's happened is you've got this juxtapositioned against an election year juxtapositioned against what's going on with certain racial issues and certain gender issues. 
And it's the proverbial perfect storm. You know, this pandemic isn't happening in a vacuum. We've got a lot of other factors that are all contributing to how things are being portrayed and how they're being communicated. So, you know, it's from a communication standpoint, it's been fascinating to sit back and watch. But there's a lot of different things happening that are all being done under the umbrella of COVID-19, but but they're all being influenced by a number of other major events happening around this world we live in. Well, Jeff Winton, this has been terrific. We could go on and on, I'm sure. And I think the 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 other half of what we could talk about we'll do over cocktails one day. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to that yeah. that very much and I hope it's in person and not another Zoom cocktail party. I'm I've looking forward to it being in person <laughs> like we all are. Jeff, what Good. is the name of your firm? Uh the, the firm just happens to carry my name. And I know it probably sounds arrogant to some, but it's called Jeff Winton Associates. And the main reason we we kept my name is uh, I have a a young person who I have a tremendous amount of respect for who's worked for me at a couple companies that when I first started talking to him, and he's a a guru when it comes to branding, um, he said, you know, you're starting this, and he was politically correct, but he said, you're starting this later in your career and he said, you know, you're fairly well known in healthcare. That's going to be your focus. He said, rather than coming up with, you know, Mercury Communications or, <laughs> or some name that you have yeah. to brand, he yeah. said, your name is your brand. So he said, I would recommend you just keep your name. And because he, in essence, was telling me, I'm an old guy who's been doing this work a long time, and I don't have time to rebrand something. <laughs> <laughs> Really good point. So, so, so there you go. But but Art, it's been a pleasure and a privilege, and thank you very much for the inclusion. It's, it's Jeff, been a thank you so much for being our guest today on PR Masters Podcast. And I'd like to thank all of you who have joined us today uh, and listened in uh, to what I feel was a very stimulating conversation with one of the legends of our time, Jeff Winton. And Jeff, really Good luck with your agency. I know it's going to be right up there among the top agencies in in no time at all. So thank you all for tuning in to another of the Stevens Group PR Masters podcast series. So until next time, I am Art Stevens, and I wish you all the very, very best. 